Welcome to the Reasoning Through the Bible podcast. Today's topic, we're going to talk about a question that has arisen on many occasions around what happens in Joshua when God commands him to destroy all the people of Canaan. So we've been working our way through Joshua. And for our regular listeners, think of this as sort of a parenthesis. And so we're going to talk about this question, and then next time we'll get back to our regular verse-by-verse Bible study. So as, as we go through these Old Testament passages, what we find is here in Joshua and already in the Bible in Deuteronomy, we found that God has commanded Israel to destroy all the people of Canaan. And there was some verses in there where it talks about destroying everything, livestock, all the people, old people, little kids, women, destroy everything. And so the, and it's a legitimate question has arisen in our day on why would that be, and is that a moral thing to do? And of course, our, our, our enemies, the skeptics, have kind of taken that and run with it and built a lot of case with it. And so I think a lot of the question comes about from a taking of one or two passages in the Old Testament and reading just those commands and not seeing the big picture. So we're going to take a few minutes here today and sort of talk about the big picture. And Steve, any things you'd like to add before we just dive into this? Yeah, just as we go through all of this, just keep in mind that God, Yahweh, is the God of Israel, and not just the God of Israel. He's the God. He's the God Almighty. He's the creator of everything. And so in Genesis, where he had talked about being a jealous God, and he has taken Israel out and created this nation out of nothing— in that it's his own nation. It's not a nation derived from from any others. And so this is a little bit of the backdrop that we'll also talk about as we go through it in relation to the command to destroy uh, everybody in Canaan in relation to it. So keep in mind, Yahweh is the God of Israel. He's the God most high, the God over all and any other gods as well. Yes, creator of the universe. And one of the things he was doing was he selected this people, Israel, not because there was anything good in them, but because of his purposes. So he selected these descendants of Abraham and was trying to set them apart as an example of a holy people. And that's part of the motivation that we'll we'll get to as we go through this. So first, just to point out the the problem. Yes, indeed, there's several passages in Deuteronomy and Joshua where God commands Israel and commands Joshua to destroy all the people of Canaan. Uh, old people, little kids, soldiers, everybody up and down the line. And so the first thing that we have to look at, and we say this very directly and with confidence, that God is God. And that, that seems like a simple statement, but God is sovereign. He created everything. He created the system that we're in. He created all of us. He gave us life. And so he has the right to take it back again. He has divine authority over all creation. And he has the full right to give life. He gives us good things. And he has the right to take them back again. And so we have here a situation where, yes, we we have a legitimate question of why is he taking it back again? But we generally don't complain when he gives good things. It's just when he decides to take them back again. And we have to kind of have the, the good with the bad. We, we have to recognize that God is sovereign 
and he has the right to give life. He has the right to take it back again. And he doesn't really make excuses or explain himself. I'm reminded in the book of Job, the beginning of the book of Job, God approaches Satan and says, have you considered my servant Job? And then God allows Satan to attack Job. And God says in chapter one of Job, you can go this far and no further. And then in chapter two, you can go this far and no further. And so then Job loses his family, loses his his business, loses his income, loses his health, and he spends a couple of dozen chapters saying, if I can just get God down here across the conference room table, then we could have a conversation, we could work this thing out. Well, at the end of the book, God shows up and basically says, who do you think you are questioning me? Where were you when I made the world? Where were you when I decided where the sea was going to stop? And when Job finally does get in front of God, and he sees the majesty of God, the immensity of God. He is so overwhelmed that Job just apologizes for even asking the question in the first place. It's easy for us to sit here in our nice, comfortable chairs saying, oh, God should have done this, and why did God do that? But we don't really understand the immensity and the majesty of God. And when we are finally face-to-face with God, then we're just overwhelmed by it. And we just unapologetically say, God gives life. He has the right to take it back again. So that's our first point. It'll permeate everything we say. I think also to add to that, Glenn, is that we're looking at it from the understanding and the moral question from a human perspective to where we think that we're a good per- people or we're a good person. And why would this be done? Why would such a command be given uh, for people that might be good or, or yeah, we think we're basically good. good when we're not. And yeah. And so it's, it's, it's looking at it from a perspective of God rather than looking at a perspective of, of mankind. And then just the one last thing, when you said about the majesty uh, at one of the previous sessions, we talked about the reaction that was made with Joshua and others that when he realized that they were in the presence of God, the immediate thing that they do is just go down completely to the ground because of that awesomeness that they see and realize that they're in the presence of God. In the Gospels, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus appears in his glory, what do the people do? They hide their eyes yeah. and cover their faces. Uh, when we realize the majesty of God, we're, we're just overwhelmed. So that's, that's the first point. Next, the people of Canaan were not innocent people. Th- these were not mild-mannered, innocent people. These were very evil people. And just to give a small taste of some of the things they did, one of the idols that was mentioned for the people of Canaan, and it's mentioned several times in the Old Testament, is the god Molech. And Molech was an iron idol, metal idol, that was made out of metal, and it had outstretched hands. And the way the process worked, they would build a fire either inside the statue or underneath the hands, and then they would sacrifice their children. They would fry them alive, basically, over this metal idol. And this was done uh, repeatedly. And this was one of the practices of the people of Canaan. And that, that was just one. Another one was they had... Uh, sex worship. 
they had idols that were had to do with sex worship, and the venereal disease alone would have been rampant in that people. So one of the things, too, and when they would sacrifice to, to Molech, they would have uh, loud drums beating and things like that in order to you know, help drown out the cries and the screams of the children that were being sacrificed and people that were being sacrificed in the, you know, a horrific, a lot of times you think of sacrifice of, of just kind of a quick death, but something like that, uh, just put placing somebody in, a, especially a child on a hot metal and just letting them basically die that way is not a, <laughs> It's not something that good people do. It's not. It's not pretty. It was. It was very, very ugly thing. So, uh, another thing that we run into is that the people of Canaan ended up influencing the people of Israel, and not the other way around. It, it was not the case that the people of Israel came in with good and fair laws and then influenced the people of Canaan for good. In fact, it was the other way around. And so one of the questions that comes in, and part of the original question, was God moral when he ordered the destruction of Canaan? Well, we don't have to guess at what would happen if God didn't give that command. The reason we don't have to guess is because we know what would happen if, that, if the people of Canaan weren't destroyed. Reason being, as, as we find as we go through Joshua, the people of Israel didn't follow through. Joshua and the people of Israel did not follow through and did not kill all the people of Canaan. So, yes, we have this, this command of God to go do this, but we don't have to guess at what would happen if God had not ordered that, because we know what would happen. Right. Because if we just read the rest of the story, read the rest of the Old Testament, we find that over time, Israel did not kill the people of Canaan. And in doing so, the people of Canaan were in around them and in them and it ended up influencing Israel for these pagan practices. So that if we read by the end of Jeremiah, for example, at the end of Second Kings, we have Israel had started to sacrifice their children to Molech. Israel had started the sex worship. Israel had taken on these pagan practices and to the point that God had to God had to judge Israel. He ended up sending Babylon in because Israel was sacrificing their children to Molech. And so we have a situation here where if Israel would have followed through and destroyed the people of Canaan initially way back here in Joshua when God first commanded it so, then less evil would have occurred. Because they didn't, because they allowed Canaanites to live, more evil resulted. And there's also another side of this morality coin. The first one that we're dealing with here is is why would God, a loving God, command, make a command such as this. But the other side of that morality coin is, and a question that, that is asked, is that why doesn't God do something about evil? in the world. And so this is a situation where he is doing something about evil. It's just that that uh, we not, may not like the particular way that he's dealing with it. And so uh, you have two sides of this coin and morality questions that are asked. And so 
you know, you have to think of that as well. Yes. People legitimately ask a, another question, which is why is there evil in the world? Why doesn't God snuff out evil? And here we have a situation where God is snuffing out evil, and he gets criticized for, for both both paths. And we'll explore a little bit of that here in, in just a bit. Another point, just kind of going down the list here, and we'll have a resource on this on the resources page on our website that'll have all these reasons in it. But the land of Canaan the, actually belonged to the ancestors of Israel. All the way back in Genesis, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, lived in that land. So at the very least, they had a legal claim to the land, and they were going back to the, again, as we had talked in our Bible study, God had given this land to Abraham right, and had moved the people of Israel out for a period of time into Egypt while there was a famine. Right. And then because of God's picture of his divine grace and providence and, and salvation, was bringing Israel back into the land, but they, at the very least, had a legal claim to the land. And again, that doesn't directly answer the question of the morality of it, but nevertheless, it's not a just total war where they're just going over and taking other land. They had a legal claim to the land. Now, another major point here is that if we look at other places in the Old Testament, again, you can't just take one or two commands out of Joshua or Deuteronomy and build a case over it. You have to look at the big picture. And the big picture is that repeatedly in the Old Testament, God sends messages to people prior to when he cast judgment on them, or when he pours out his wrath. It's never the case that God just lands on people with no warning, right? And we can prove that in examples. For example, Jonah. In the book of Jonah, Jonah was sent to the people of Nineveh with a right. message. What was the message? Repent and uh, believe, or else you're going to be destroyed. Right. And so the people of Nineveh did repent, and God relented. Right? So that's one example. Uh, the book of Isaiah is another. The first half of Isaiah, there's eight or ten messages in there to people around Israel, eight or ten people groups that were around Israel where God is giving them a message through the prophet Isaiah about coming judgment. And so we have examples in the Old Testament where God reached out to people groups, both in Israel and outside of Israel, with a divine message that this is what I expect of you. And in cases where they don't repent, he then follows through on the judgment because, again, he is a righteous judge, and if he didn't deal with the evil, he'd be guilty of that. So I think we could build a pretty solid case that in the 400 years that Israel was in Egypt, God most likely sent prophets to them, warning them, and we've seen, as even now up through Joshua, we've seen how the people of Canaan fought against God. They didn't relent. All the way back in what Rahab told us, they knew that it was God they were fighting against right. and not just a people group. They knew it was God that had parted the Red Sea. They knew it was God that had parted the Jordan River. It was God that, that did all these things, not just some military might. So, and they, they didn't repent and ask. What happened to Rahab? She was a Canaanite, and she 
worshiped the true God and, and submitted to him, and he let her live. Right, and, and it says that in regards that uh, Rahab told him and the scripture also that their hearts were melted because they knew it was the God of Israel, Yahweh, the God of Israel that was there. So again, you have the backdrop of them wanting to worship and continue to worship their own gods and not repent and change their minds and worship the one and true God, the God of Israel, Yahweh. Right. And so everywhere in Scripture, God always shows love towards repentance, and he always sends a prophet in with a message before he pours out wrath. And so we can safely conclude that that happened here to the Canaanites, even though it's not necessarily recorded in in Scripture. One last thing on that, too, in regards to when you mentioned the far far sending Jonah to Nineveh, Jonah, in his worldly mind and his own self, didn't think the people of Nineveh were worthy right. in order to have he, God he, as 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 uh, their God. Yeah, Jonah repent. didn't want him to repent. And so that's the lovingness of God that he essentially forced Jonah in order to go to the people of Nineveh. So you have two things. You have the loving kindness of God to force Jonah the to go. To force the message. Because he knew that they were going to repent. And so again, it's not, it's something that God knows and uh, a situation where he forced it. And, and it's not up for us to question or to doubt. It's for us to believe and to know that this is something that needs to be done. Yes. Now I want to spend just a minute going through some logic. So the listeners just hang in there with me. There's four logical possibilities that God could have done. And those four possibilities exhaust all options. So I'm going to go through those four. And these are the four logical possibilities that God had before him that he could have done. The first is that God could have allowed the people of Canaan to have freedom to make moral decisions and then punish them for it. And that's what happened here. He could have let them make a free moral decision. And then when they committed evil punished him for it, and that's what generated our original question of whether this was a moral thing to do. So that's one option. Another option is that he could allow people to make that moral decision, but not punish them, right? That's a second logical possibility. Now, that's basically what happened in the years prior to when Israel goes through with Joshua and and judges them. God left them for 400 years and sent messages to them. So when God shows patience in allowing evil to happen, he gets criticized, as we pointed out earlier. If God doesn't immediately judge evil, then, okay, God, why are you allowing all these, these evil things to happen? But when he then does send in people for judging evil. Well, why are you why are you judging evil? All right. And so option number 1, he could have allowed them to commit evil acts and then punished them for it. Option number 2, he could have not punished them for it, but that's allowing evil in the world. And so that's that's a, another logical possibility. Third logical possibility is he could have stopped the evil before it occurred. Right? And that's one of the common questions. How come God doesn't just stop all evil before it happens? Well, first of all, how do we know God's not doing that already? Right. How do we know God's not restraining evil now? Even 
gross evils like the Holocaust. We could always think of more people that got killed, or we could have thought of slower death or more suffering, uh, more people die or suffered longer or things like that. So how do we know that God's not already restraining evil? That That's one question. And then another one is stopping every human from committing every evil act would violate human freedom and would essentially turn us into a machine or a robot or a tool, right? And humans would be at, at most a pet and not someone capable of love. I mean, I can make a machine that when I get home at night will say, welcome home, dear. I missed you. I loved you. But that machine is just doing it because I programmed it to say that. Right. If it doesn't have free moral choice. And stopping people from making free moral choices violates human freedom. It eliminates the possibility of true love. And it's not the best situation. Right. So God created us in, in his image. He gave us the ability to make free moral choices. And we've chosen evil. And that, and that's a, a key principle in regards to God and His loving kindness towards us is that He wants a creation or create created being to love Him and to worship Him on their own through their freedom to do that. He's not going to force anybody to worship Him or to love Him. It's for them to do it voluntary and that's goes for all of his creation not just mankind but also we see in the with the angels and other beings as well that's been created they're all there and given that choice to worship and love him on their own and then the fourth logical possibility is that god could have taken children to a glorious state of heaven before they reach the age of accountability and before they end up choosing evil he could have taken them in his sovereign right to a glorious state of heaven before they commit evil acts. And that's exactly what happened here in Canaan. He judged the older people that had committed the evil acts, and he sovereignly decided, I'm going to take these children prior to them committing evil acts and being having to punish for them. I'm going to pull them into a glorious state of heaven where they can enjoy me and so that's the f- what they get criticized for, too. So, again, the four logical possibilities exhaust all options. And God gets criticized in every option. Yeah, and, and so this is the, the reason why our podcast is called Reasoning Through the Bible. It's just things just such as what Glenn did there of actually thinking about it, going through uh, not just uh, the scripture itself, but reasoning through it, going through logical choices in regards to what uh, might be in, in any type of scripture that we're studying at that particular point in time. And then just one last uh, comment, Glenn, is, and you alluded to it earlier, that the people knew that this was the God of Israel. And it wasn't just the miracles that he had done. They had already captured the the western side or the eastern side of Jordan through those people. Remember, there were three tribes that were there right. already, Manasseh and Gad. But they had already done some conquering on the side. So the people on the west side, these Canaanites, before they come in there, they already know that there's that this is God, and he's not just done miracles 
showing who he is through parting waters and other than they've also conquered some people as well. So they also knowing know that this is an option or an outcome that might happen to them if they resist uh, as well. Yes. So in wrapping up, God had several options before him. He most likely sent people to Canaan with a message. And as we've seen, the people of Canaan rejected it and dug in. They fought God all along the way. And God could have restrained evil, and he did that for 400 years and sent messages to them. He could have taken the children to a glorious state before they committed evil. He could have turned us into robots, but didn't. He sovereignly and wisely decided, I'm going to let them make free will choices. I'm going to warn them. And then when they don't repent, I'm going to judge them for it. And that's what we have here in in Joshua. And I'm also sort of reminded of, you know, one of the ways that the Bible describes human is, is children. And if you think of a child, I mean, I've, I've seen children that, oh, if you take the candy away or you take uh, the toy away, oh, my goodness, the two- or three-year-old just thinks, oh, this is just horrible. Life's coming to an end. But it's really good for them in the long run. And they don't understand yet. So God could sit down and try to explain these things, but it would be sitting down and trying to explain things to a two-year-old. You can sit and explain about, okay, later on in life, you're going to need to eat your vegetables, and they're just not going to understand. So what does every parent ever do? Because I said so. (laughs) Because I said so. And so you have to do it because I said so. And so that's basically where God is with us. He's got his reasons. They're divinely wise reasons. And if we look through the whole story and not pulling out a verse or two, then we can we can find God's wisdom in here. We can trust God for being holy and right and good and doing the right things. And that's what we have here in Joshua when he deals with the Canaanites. Yeah, and also because of what you mentioned is that the parent knows what you're bringing out, what's going to happen in the future. And so that's why they treat the child that way. Uh, same thing. God knows what's going to happen, and the, and we don't always know, just like the child doesn't always know. So that's going to be our episode today in this uh, Reasoning Through the Bible. Uh, you can also find the material that uh, Glenn mentioned on our website, reasoningthroughthebible.com, and uh, we will pick you up in the next session as we continue through our journey through studying Joshua. <music>